You're listening to Managing Leadership Anxiety, Yours and Theirs, a podcast offered in partnership with Missio Alliance. Each episode, we discuss internal and relational pressures, how they block effective leadership, and how we can move through them to a greater health. And now your host, Steve Hills. So I'm uh, in spiritual direction right now. I'm in an Ignatian prayer community. And uh, boy, it's really neat. It's a nine-month experience where we have one-on-one spiritual direction, and then we have a small group, and then we do these large retreats, sometimes for half a day and sometimes overnight. And uh, really early in the experience, they uh, gave us a candle. And it was the simplest thing. They just invited us to take the candle everywhere we go and um, light it for two reasons. Uh, The first reason you light the candle is when you are aware that God is with you. You just light the candle as a recognition that you're aware that God's with you. And the second reason to light the candle is when you need to be aware that God is with you. Uh, You just need that reminder. And uh, so I I burned through my first candle pretty quick. I, I really got into this. In fact, there was a sermon I preached where I actually lit the candle to begin the sermon, just that needed reminder that it's not all on me, that God is with me, and that therefore that means that God is already ahead of me. So the reason I bring that up is I have my candle here, and obviously this is an audio podcast, but I'm going to light it. And I'm also going to invite you to maybe cultivate this habit. It's a simple thing. And what it does for me is just seeing that light flickering is the tangible reminder of the intangible God who is with me, who's closer to me than the air I breathe. Uh, I don't know about you, but over my lifetime, I have struggled to uh, put my trust in an invisible, intangible God. It's just, you know, I mean, gosh, I, I guess in some ways I'm, I'm jealous of the disciples. Uh, <laughs> I'm not jealous of when they look stupid. I'm, I'm not jealous when all of them martyred for the sake of the cause, but that tangible, that physical, like the ability to hug God and to have a face-to-face conversation like Moses did. So candle helps me. So here we go. I I light this candle. You can probably hear, I've got a little lighter here. There's my lighter. I light this candle in faith, knowing that God is closer to me than the air I breathe, that God is with me whether I believe it or not, whether I sense it or not, And not only is God with me, I light this candle in the faith that God is ahead of me and is already at work in the thing I'm anxious about, whether that's a person or a place. Thanks be to God. And thank you, God, that Jeremiah reminds us in Lamentations 3 that your mercies are new every morning, that when we went to bed last night, Uh, It's not like we came close to running you out of your mercies. You still had a a pile of mercies available for us, uh, more than 70 times 7 mercies. But even so, a new morning, a new sunrise, a new day, a new gift of life, like the gift that we get to be alive, uh, and we wake up to a fresh stack of mercies. Lord, thank you also that You remind us in Lamentations 3, Jeremiah reminds us that your faithfulness is great. Great. And I think it's great in every sense of the word great. It's majestic. It's spectacular. It's sovereign. But it's also really cool. It's great. 
Your faithfulness is so amazing. It's great. But thank you, Lord, that you are great. And thanks that you're with us. All right, bipeds. Uh, this is part three of my three-part series on differentiation. Uh, I teach this, what I'm going to tell you today, uh, kind of the finale. I know we've all been excited. Like, when's it coming? Here it is, the finale. Uh, not of the podcast people, just relax. Just the finale of this little little kind of sub-thread on differentiation. When I teach this, it's, it's often an hour exercise when I'm doing a Zoom with a group or a workshop. We take about an hour on differentiation. So this will be, I think, about 30 minutes. Therefore, going to be a little dense. Uh, and on audio, it's tricky, right? Like, I, I think the reason we take an hour is because I have people talking about it. Because I, I know that if you really want your life to experience deeper transformation, you cannot just get there by listening to a podcast or reading a book or thinking your way to change. You have to externalize. You have to journal, talk. You have to do the vulnerable thing of meeting with another person or a group you trust and having this difficult conversation out loud. And also, you have to embody a new way in the way you live. You have to bravely practice. So here we are on the podcast. It's a limited medium, but it's what we have. And of course, the best thing about it is it's free. So let's talk differentiation. Here's what got me really excited about differentiation and, and the study that I've put into it now for, gosh, two decades plus, is when I came to realize that I believe the number one thing that gets in the way of me being aware of God is my chronic anxiety, my reactivity. It's like a, it's almost like a spiritual force that fills my soul. And it's, it, it reminds me of those insulations that you put in a wall. You know, when you've already built a house and the walls are up and you can't take the walls down to add insulation. So you drill a tiny hole and there's that insulation that when it gets in the wall, it expands 60 times its size. So it's, it's stuffed into a small can, but when you spread into the wall, it just, it spreads like a big thick foam and takes up all the space. That's how I think of chronic anxiety. It sucks out all the space where we make room for God in our life. So of course, chronic anxiety, it doesn't take away God's presence. It's not nearly that powerful. It does something I think much worse. It takes away our awareness of God's presence. And differentiation is probably one of the top three or four tools that I use to move from being anxious to calm and aware of God and present to God and um, present to people, even the people that I struggle to connect with. It's a really powerful tool. In systems theory, it's known as the cornerstone concept. It is the foundational tool of Bowen theory or systems theory. Dr. Roberta Gilbert wrote a whole book on differentiation called The Cornerstone Concept. So boy, you can Google it, differentiation of self. A lot of people were introduced to it through the writing of Ed Friedman, that wonderful, provocative marriage and family therapist rabbi who wrote Failure of Nerve. His most famous book, I don't believe it's his best book. If you want to chase Friedman, go get Friedman's fables. Read them to your kids provocative, pot-stirring. It's everything wonderful about Friedman. It's an imaginative, it'll shake you. He talks about differentiation. It was coined by Dr. Murray Bowen, the founder of systems theory, family systems theory. And uh, we're going to get to what I believe it is. I've got a number of friends who study systems theory. And uh, what's been fun is I asked them to explain or define differentiation. 
In fact, I did a masterclass on differentiation featuring Rich Valotis and Trisha Taylor, two incredible systems theorists themselves. And golly, Rich, what a pastor. Incredible pastor. I've gotten to see Rich pastor up close and it's, it's beautiful. And Trisha Taylor, leadership coach, therapist, and uh, her business partner, Jim Harrington. Trisha and Jim also pastors. Uh, they talk a lot about differentiation of self. I have my own definition. I'll explain it as a five-step process. We'll get to that. Before we do, let's look in the Bible because there's a couple of interesting things. We want to start the episode by showing you what happens when people are not differentiated. We want to end the episode by showing you what differentiation looks like in the Bible. It's all through the Bible. Just three quick stories uh, of where it's not there. First of all, Jacob in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 28. Uh, Jacob has fleeced his brother out of the birthright. He's deceived his own father. He's colluded with his mother. Those of us who are systems theorists, we love to study the genealogy, the family tree, the genogram of the patriarchs because they are a hot mess. Hey, listen, don't think you're a very good husband or wife. Don't think you're a very good mum or dad or child. Just read the patriarchs. You'll feel so much better about yourself. It's like I tell my congregation, if you're feeling bad about your spiritual walk, just read Corinthians. That'll make you feel better. Those of us who are trying to be a good dad or mum or child uh, or husband or wife, just, just read the patriarchs. That really helps you feel so much better about yourself. <laughs> Jacob's a hot mess. He's deceived and uh, his brother has threatened to kill him. And so he's on the lamb. He's on the run. He's heading to his uncle's house, Laban, where many of you know the story, he ends up falling in love with his cousin, first cousin, I might say. And uh, as the saying goes, uh, better to marry your family than a stranger. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, hey, my podcast have been a bit more stream of consciousness lately, and I'm just going with it. So thanks for jumping around my brain as I enjoy jumping around. So Laban, uh, <laughs> Laban and Jacob, I love the Rich Mullins song, the world as best as I remember it, where he says, it's right there in the Bible, so it must not be a sin, but it sure does seem like an awful dirty trick. A great line. And the fact that he can put that line in a rhyme scheme in a song is why Rich Mullins remains one of the greatest songwriters in all, all time. Okay, so I'm, I'm going on. Let me get back focused here. Jacob, Genesis 28. He's on the run. He's sleeping. He, he uses a stone for a pillow. And as he's asleep, God comes to him in a dream, a common thing, particularly in the scripture. Jacob wakes up, he realizes it's more than a dream that God has visited him. And Jacob makes the following statement. He says, surely the Lord was in this place and I was not aware of it. Surely the Lord was in this place and I was not aware of it. An early sign in scripture that when we're all so caught up in ourselves, when we're so wrapped up in our circumstances, we no longer notice God's presence. Jacob, of course, not just the circumstances outside him, but in Jacob's case, he's all wrapped up in the circumstances inside him. He's unaware of what's going on in him, and that unawareness is making him numb to the presence of God. Fast forward a few hundred years, and we get to 2 Kings 6, and Elisha's little assistant, uh, kind of apprentice, Gehazi. <laughs> Such a great name. Gehazi is infamous in the Bible. You can chase Gehazi. I, I think it's the perfect name for a cat. Any of you who get a cat, just name the cat Gehazi. What a name. Anyway, uh, he's a bit of a bit of a rascal, a bit of a ratbag Gehazi, but um, Second King Singh, he, 
Second Kings 6, he and Elisha are out and the enemy is encroaching upon them and all Gehazi can see is the thousands of the enemy about to kill them. And he cries out to Elisha and basically says, we're going to die. And it's interesting that Elisha pauses in that moment and prays for Gehazi and he says, Lord, show Gehazi or show him what I can see. And God very graciously pulls back the veil, kind of the veil of heaven, and, and behind the enemy army is an army of angels surrounding the enemy that has Gehazi surrounded. It's a beautiful picture. Gehazi, his external circumstances have infected him. He's anxious and he can't see the Lord. And then finally, there's tons of these examples, but I'm just going to pull out three for this podcast. Finally, Cleopas in Luke chapter 24, Cleopas and his companion, I think it's probably his wife, Mrs. Cleopas. They're walking on the road to Emmaus and Luke records that they were kept from seeing Jesus. Jesus walks right up alongside them, but Luke says they were kept from recognizing Jesus. And of course, a lot of people translate that, that Luke is saying that God in God's sovereignty chose to not reveal Jesus to them. That's a perfectly valid explanation. I've read commentators that say that the reason they didn't recognize Jesus is the sun was in their eyes. I think that's ridiculous. I mean, come on, all you have to do is shade your, shade your eyes and look to the right and you can see Jesus. Maybe it's because Jesus did manifest looking so different after the resurrection. I think an equally plausible explanation, if we believe that the simple meaning in the text is the best meaning, I think it's because they were so wrapped up in themselves. Jesus had died. They did not know he had resurrected. They were not expecting him, of course, to resurrect. As Andy Stanley famously said, they weren't standing outside the tomb on Sunday morning, counting down from 10 for the great liftoff. And they were so anxious because all their hopes and dreams had been shattered and they didn't know what tomorrow would bring. It's completely plausible and reasonable that they would be anxious. And therefore, because they are filled with their own anxiety, they were kept from recognizing Jesus. And of course, Luke 24 is such a beautiful story that on that seven-mile journey to Emmaus, they finally encounter the living Christ through the breaking of the bread and the cup. Man, it's beautiful. And of course, it's metaphorical and it's literal. It's all of that. But these stories, what they do for us is they remind us that anxiety does not have to be a liability in our life. It can be an asset. It's difficult, but it can be an asset. You can learn to notice when you're anxious. One of the things that anxiety does to us is it numbs us to awareness. It makes us reactive. And one of the opposites of reactivity is awareness. And so what you have to do, you have to kind of do a jujitsu move on your anxiety. Rather, what, what can happen is sometimes we can like fight fire with fire. We get anxious and then we anxiously try to manage our anxiety. Instead of that, if you can learn to notice the signs that you're in anxiety's grip and invite that as a gift, because now it becomes a portal. Anxiety, it, 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 the way I wrote about it in MLA, is it becomes an early detection system. It's like a tornado siren. You can actually let your anxiety be the thing that helps you connect to God. So step number one, of course, is noticing when you're anxious. We've covered a lot of that with your physiology, with your belief system, things like that. And then um, once you've noticed, oh man, I'm, I'm anxious, the way I notice, uh, I've been practicing this more intentionally the last couple of years, is I learned to notice when I stopped noticing God. Tricky. 
I've learned to notice when I've stopped noticing God. Last time I met with my spiritual director, of course, a lot of our work is attending to the presence of God. And we meet once a month and he was like, well, how is January? And, and I told him, I said, I think I spent almost all of January forgetting that God is good and God is with me. You know, I'm, I'm no longer full-time pastoring. I'm still very much pastoring, but not full-time. I'm not in the lead role. And that means uh, no more steady paycheck. And I'm still building this new business. And there's a lot of products we still have to get out for you and a lot of ways to help you with all this stuff. But it's, it's all in the iteration phase, and I find myself getting anxious about financial security. Even though God's opening incredible doors for me, and I've received so much favor and blessing from people in this new work, I, I still look down the calendar and just wonder, oh man, can we, can we provide for the family? And so I was telling my spiritual director, I was like, yeah, basically spent all of January just anxious, just unable to really pause and remember God I tell you that just to remind you that none of us graduate from this work. It's a daily work. And really all I did in January was violate my own tools. I just didn't intentionally with discipline use the path that I built. So here I am in February and it's going much better so far. And I, I'm going to say a bit of a stream of consciousness sideways thing here, but it's so important to be kind to yourself. You know, like I could feel guilty that I'm the guy that taught these tools. I'm not even practicing them for myself. I could feel guilty about that. But what's really true is I'm human-sized and that it's reasonable when you're starting a new business from scratch to feel the pressure. That's reasonable. And that God's not surprised. And God's not sitting up and saying, you should know better by now. That's the voice of my inner critic saying that. It's not the voice of the Lord the radical self-kindness, being at least as kind to myself as God is to me, that's been helpful. And so far, so good in February. You know, I think in January, I probably got a C minus or a D. And I don't know, I think in February, I'm probably getting a B minus. That's not bad. B minus is actually a pretty good grade in the walking by faith category. Okay, so differentiation. Uh, what is it? Well, it's the ability to stop the anxiety spread and connect to God. That's how I would define differentiation. Um, you know, it is actually a secular tool and I've kind of baptized it, right? I'm not the only one that's done that. Pete Scazzaro, uh, Rich, as I've mentioned, the, there's several of us that in the Christian world have, have really seen how differentiation is a spiritual tool. But where it begins is stopping reactivity. So the, the first step in differentiation, step number one, if it's a five-step process, step number one is noticing when you're getting reactive and working in the moment on managing your reactivity so it doesn't spill out into other people. So step number one is managing your own reactivity or anxiety. It's learning in the moment when you're getting heightened, when you're getting more reactive, combative, and actually rather than staying on that treadmill, stepping off and pausing and intentionally lowering your reactivity. That's step one. What you're trying to do is stop your anxiety from spilling into another person. I guess that's how I would say it cleanly. You stop your anxiety from spilling into another. Step number two is learning to not catch someone else's anxiety when it's spilling into you. That's why the first two sessions on this, we dealt with enmeshment and detachment because enmeshed people, we tend to catch everyone's anxiety. If you're not okay I'm naturally, if I don't do work, I, I become not okay. I want to scurry around and make you okay. So step one, 
manage my anxiety from spilling into you. Step two, keep from catching your anxiety from spilling into me. Now, notice this. Step two is really important. It's not manipulative. You're not trying to, I'm not trying to stop you from generating anxiety. Hey man, hey baby, you can generate as much anxiety as you want, but because I'm managing myself from catching it, to see the difference? Like enmeshed people, we need to, to manipulate you so, you so we can be okay. We tell you off for making us anxious. No, 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 uh-uh, nope. Differentiation, differentiated people. Hey, baby, you can be as anxious as you need to be, and I will manage myself from catching it. Boy, can't you imagine what a key lesson this was in trauma and, and, and hospice chaplaincy? I mean, walking into a room where people are in unhinged anxiety, and because I'm differentiated, I'm okay. I don't need them to be anything different than what they are. So many people don't know how to be in a room with someone who's grieving because you're catching their anxiety. That's why you say that stupid thing. That's why you quote that Bible verse that's not helpful to them. That's why you're shrinking down their circumstance so you can be okay. You don't even know it. Boy, differentiation is so powerful. I got these early reps in my early 20s because I was so chronically anxious back then. Of course, I'm still chronically anxious, but it was unhinged back then. And just the, the daily reps of walking into a room, feeling all that anxiety. And in case you're wondering, yeah, sometimes it was directed very personally at me. You know, like if somebody died and I'm God's representative, then they demanded out of me an explanation. How could God allow this to happen? And because one of my anxiety triggers is always knowing the answer, I would foolishly in my early days try to answer that as if it was an intellectual question. That's ridiculous. But over time, I learned to notice, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't have to answer. I don't have to let their anxiety conflate with mine and breed this unholy monster when their anxiety breeds with my anxiety and now we're all reactive. I can just calmly connect. So that leads us to step three. Once you've managed your anxiety from spilling, once you've stopped from catching theirs, now step three, so, so important. You work to emotionally connect to yourself, to the other, and to God. In that order. Well, certainly yourself first. Maybe you could make the argument that you connect to God and then the other. Fight me on that. Email me. Tell me what you think. But I'm not so much interested in steps two and three. It's, it's, it's really emotionally connecting to yourself. What's going on in me? What am I feeling? How am I acting? What am I believing right now? What assumption have I caught? Remember how we said earlier that ge- chronic anxiety is generated by assumptions and false beliefs and expectations? So one of the ways you emotionally connect to yourself is you ask yourself the kind, curious question, what assumption have I caught? So back to the hospital room and someone is screaming at me, how could God allow this to happen? Sometimes maybe even physically they have their hands on my shoulders and like threatening me almost. This happened as well. And I'm feeling this assumption that I have to answer their question. What is that? It's because I believe the lie that anytime someone asks me a question, I must answer it. Why is that? Because when I don't know the answer, I feel stupid and I can't manage the feeling of stupidity. So I'm always answering people's questions. Not to be helpful to them, but to stop feeling stupid. Wow. Okay. Now that I know that, I can emotionally connect to myself. Oh, I know what's going on. I can say, 
I need to shrink their anxiety down because I can't handle it. And then I guess the next step would be connecting to God. Okay, Lord, Jesus died, so I don't need to have the answer anymore. Lord, would you just show me that you're here and I don't have to manage anything. I'm just in your space. I can worship you even in this terrible situation. And then, of course, in part of that step three, connect to the other person. A differentiation is probably the most powerful tool I've used to learn how to connect to radically different kinds of people. People who are different cultures than me, different mindsets than me, different convictions than me. I love differentiation because as a leader, it has given me the tool I needed to connect to any kind of person and manage my reactivity. You know how just some, te- some people tend to tick you off? Differentiation is the tool that helps you get past that. It's not that they no longer tick you off. It's not that you now love everybody and enjoy everybody. That's not true. I'm as petty and judgmental as I've ever been. What's true is you no longer let that pettiness and that judgmentalism get in the way of a true human-to-human connection with another person. It was such a gift in chaplaincy because a, a, a trauma hospital is a microcosm of its city. And so whoever is in the city ends up in the trauma hospital. You connect with everybody. I did this work in Knoxville, Tennessee as a white Western Australian beach kid. Think about that. Appalachian, Tennessee. uh, And here I am as a white beach kid. I connected with African Americans, with Muslims. I connected with snake handlers. You might have heard of these people, the people that actually believe that in church you should handle rattlesnakes because of that obscure passage in in the New Testament. Most Sunday afternoons, snake handling Christians would come in to this hospital, University of Tennessee Hospital, to get a bandage and get a treatment against rattlesnake bites. I could connect with such a wide range of people, people with radically different beliefs than me because of differentiation. So step one is manage your reactivity. Step two is don't catch their reactivity. Step three is intentionally, emotionally connect to yourself, to God, and to the other. Step four is clarify your vision and values. Clarify your vision and values. Now, what I mean by that is I I don't mean like you have a business meeting where you all sit around and get something on the wall. It's simply in the moment figuring out, have I lost who I am? Am I operating as a different person than my true self? If chronic anxiety is generated by assumptions, expectations, and false beliefs, then it's also generated when other people put assumptions, expectations, and false beliefs on us. Does that make sense, right? So sometimes what happens, particularly for those of us who are enmeshed, but also for those who struggle with detachment, is we either catch someone else's expectation on us or detach people, we like obtusely or... Um, perversely reject other people's expectation on us, right? Like no one defines me, that kind of thing. But who are you? What has God called you to do? This has been a life changer for me as a lead pastor, this fourth step, because so many people come into the church with an expectation about what a pastor should and shouldn't be and do and say, and what a church should be doing and not doing. And so because we're Christians, a lot of well-meaning people they blame God for their personal opinion, right? Like they, they have decided that God's true church does this one thing or these five things or whatever. And that's why they come at you with so much heat and passion because they believe 
right or wrong, that they're defending God to you. And so clarifying who you are is a way of differentiating without blaming, accusing, telling someone off. You know, the classic marriage counseling technique of using I statements. That's probably a good tangible way to understand step four. Uh, It's not accusing. It's not you. And so, you know, over the years at Discovery, goodness me, the hundreds and hundreds of times somebody comes excited about a ministry idea or an opportunity. And here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with a ministry idea or the opportunity. Okay, let's be honest. Sometimes, sometimes there is. Sometimes some of the opportunities are like, hey, dude, that's crazy. Like you'd have to smoke mushrooms to really do that idea. But a lot of the times people have a great idea. Maybe in their last church, they had a ministry they loved that really benefited them and they want you to start it. And so just to be able to say to them kindly, wow, that sounds amazing, but that's not who we are. Here's what we do. Here's who we are. Here's what we're all about. And we invite you to join in. And then in the same way on a personal level, when people, for example, maybe the most common thing for me as a preacher is somebody who might say, you know, the last preacher really exegeted the Greek word by word, and that, that's what true gospel preaching is. And for me to say, yeah, that's, that's good preaching. I, I know exegetical preaching. I was trained in that. But here's who I am, and I have to be faithful to what God's called me to be. I'm trying to get the unchurched intellectual skeptic to find themselves in the gospel in a way they want it. And so I don't do that style of preaching. I'm not saying that style's bad. I'm not threatened that you prefer that style. I'm just telling you who I am and what I'm about. And I invite you to connect with me. And what that does, that fourth step, is it puts anxiety back where it belongs on the one generating it. Rather than me trying to shape shift myself and be all things to all people, we even use Bible to quote it. I can be exactly who God's called me to be. Now, let's pause before we get to step five. One of the fun things I do when I do my workshops, whether they're on Zoom or in person, is I ask people as we've gone through these steps to think of any time they've seen differentiation on the screen, a movie or a TV show. Because what I found is that it's easier to see it than do it. Like you kind of have to see it in action first before you start doing it. And so over this last year, I just started this uh, a few months ago, actually, maybe six months ago. I've started to collect a really neat list of movies and TV shows where the main character or some character is well differentiated. For example, the Netflix series for the US audience, I'm assuming it's on global Netflix, the series The Crown, when uh, Queen Elizabeth, when in season one, Princess Elizabeth becomes Queen Elizabeth, she has to practice significant differentiation with her husband but mostly profoundly, I think, with her dad's advisors. All the king's advisors become her advisors, and they're basically trying to tell her what a monarch is and how she should be. They're placing their expectations and assumptions, and I might add, their anxiety over their boss's death, onto this young, inexperienced, brand-new queen. Princess Elizabeth was 26 years of age when she became Queen Elizabeth. Can't imagine. I just can't imagine the pressure. And you can watch in season one of The Crown as she learns to differentiate herself and say, nope, the crown hits, fits my head differently than my dad's. I have to run in a different way than my dad did. And, I, and so they would even like accuse her of dishonoring her father. Now, she deeply loved her dad. You can be who you are, and that's not dishonoring your predecessor. It's just God called you. 
God, your predecessor's gone. God called you to fill these shoes. I, I had to do that when I first came to Discovery. I was not the founding pastor of our church. I followed a, a, a good leader named Tim, and he left. He'd been there five and a half years. He had planted the church. So a lot of the DNA, even today, was DNA that he started for us. A really good guy, left well, but we're very different. And there were some people anxiously trying to make me more like him. And just like that, I have transitioned over to another great leader named Zach. And part of what Zach will have to do is to differentiate from me. He's a different person than me. Thank God. Thanks be to God. But some people will be comparing us. And Zach's uh, thriving will somewhat depend on his capacity to differentiate away from me, which I think is essential. And I'll be doing my part to help everyone realize that that's what we need. And what God's calling you to be is exactly who God made you to be. In the course of sharing movies and um, TV shows, and there's a number of them, and of course, famously, Ted Lasso is my favorite right now. Uh, I, had, I had someone in a workshop say that Ferris Bueller was differentiated. <laughs> and um, I struggled with this because he's ditching school and he's stealing his friend's dad's Ferrari. And many of you know, I'm a Ferrari aficionado. And the fact that they wrecked the Ferrari, that violates my core values. It violates who I am. So I'm kind of teasing here, but I struggled. I struggled to say that Ferris Bueller was a well-differentiated individual because the person was making a great case. He's like, look, he's exactly who he is. He's on his mission. He's determined that nothing's going to shake his mission. Even when Cameron is in bed, kind of with his, his illness, his pseudo illness, uh, those of you who are Ferris Bueller's fans, uh, one of the wonderful mo moments in the movie is Ferris is calling him, trying to cajole him out of bed. And then that song, um, When Cameron was in Egypt's land, let my Cameron go. Right? It's just a great, <laughs> I still love it. I love it, that moment. Wow, I'm way off track now. I don't think Ferris Bueller was truly differentiated because of step five. And Ferris Bueller, I'm sorry to say, is actually the portal that helped me develop step five. Up until about six months ago, I used to teach differentiation as four steps, the steps I've given you. And I realized that Ferris Bueller and Jesus of Nazareth forced me to add a fifth step. That's a quote you're probably never going to hear from anyone else, that Ferris Bueller and Jesus together helped me with step five. Step five is you must align your vision and values with reality. That's step five. If step four is clarifying your vision and values, clarifying who you are, as are my assumptions and expectations and the assumptions and expectations of others, are they throwing me off who I am? Am I shape-shifting myself? Uh, my guest last week, Dr. Felicia Harris. Wow, what a fantastic guest. What a fantastic episode. Felicia is a single mom. She's an African-American. She's a person of color, obviously. And um, she was talking about that pressure to shapeshift, to manage yourself, to not be fully who she is. All of that. Step four helps you be who you are. But what if who you are is wrong? Right? Like, what if you say, well, who I am is a serial killer and a cannibal, so I'm just going to eat people. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think that's a differentiated self. That's a psychopath. And that's when the light bulb went on for me. We, we were batting around. We were debating in this workshop. We got into a really fun debate about Ferris Bueller because I was resisting and I was trying to figure out why am I being so resistant? They're, they're making a great case. Plus, people, I'll just give you a little tip. When I'm in a workshop, I am not inclined to correct somebody in a public meeting. It's already vulnerable. 
So I was struggling. I was like, I don't think I can lift that Ferris wheel or what's missing? What's missing? And I dug deeper and I really spent some time with the Lord about it. I'm like, why am I resisting Ferris Bueller being differentiated? And that was when I really had that aha moment. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus sets us free. Jesus says you can know truth and truth sets you free. Jesus is truth. Um, and, and that's when I realized, oh, there has to be a fifth step. We must align our vision and values with reality. That's the step where we grow more deeply in Christ, when we become more of our true self, who God created us to be. So step four, clarify your vision and values. Step five, align your vision and values with reality. We all know people that stop at step four and they say things like, I'm just this way, deal with it, right? Like, this is who I am, take me or leave me, that kind of stuff. That's not differentiation. That's detachment. They are too anxious to learn how to connect emotionally to others and also to align who they are with reality. They're just jerks. They're the kinds of people you don't want to be around. Ferris Bueller cannot keep acting this way in this world and thrive. He can't do it. And you might say, wait a minute, a lot of people do that. Yeah, but they don't thrive. They're not actually free. They're slaves to their own desires. They're hedonists. They're not worshippers of the king. They're hedonists. And you might say, well, they're rich and they've got a Ferrari. Yeah, but I guarantee you most of those people are not sleeping with the peace of Christ. They're not waking up free. They're, they're Romans chapter 1. They're, they've been given over to their own desires. It's the worst form of slavery when you get everything you want. So step five, align your vision and values with reality. What that looks like in my case is I do it in a Psalm 139 prayer. Lord, you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. Search me, Lord. That's the prayer. Show if there's any way in me. And I die to that. But also, I invite the feedback of others. And one of the simplest ways I know to get to step five is to ask people in your life, how do you experience me? How do you experience me? and then believe them when they tell you. Now, when I've been teaching step five in my workshops, I get a lot of questions about this. People say, well, how do you know? Like, what if somebody's coming to you and it's their issues, but they're putting it on you? I, I would just say, first of all, if you're asking somebody, how do you experience me? Even if they're giving you what's mostly their issues, and it's not actually, it doesn't ring true with you, you can still thank them for sharing it and invite them to show you again if they've experienced you that way, like, oh, thank you for telling me that. And if you see me do that again, I would appreciate you showing me. It's not the time to invite them to give you feedback and then tell them off or correct them. Ah, oh, that's not true. That's your issues, not mine. That's combative. But at the same time, you can, like, you don't have to embrace it. You can say, okay, Lord, is this true? Is this not? Usually the way you know it's true is this when the, the wisdom of counsel of many, right? Like if, if you've got a number of people saying, this is how I experience you, then that's probably accurate. But with that one person, if they're turning their issues onto you, in, as you meet with them in an ongoing way, it actually gives an invitation for you guys to chat about that, is for you to say, I, I wonder if that's, if you're projecting that onto me, is that right? But when you have a differentiated relationship, when you're connected to each other, you can keep doing this. So. A lot of people see differentiation as like a one-time thing. 
I see it as a relational experience over time. So the way I go to step five is the Psalm 139 prayer, uh, the, the prayer of examine in the Ignatian tradition, asking God to search me and show me, but also inviting the people in my life to speak into it. And um, that's how I'm able to get closer to who God made me to be. So that's differentiation, five steps. Step one, stopping my anxiety from spilling out. Step two, stopping from catching others' anxiety, no matter how they're behaving. Step three, intentionally connecting emotionally to myself, to God, to others. Step four, being clear on who I am, who God's made me to be, what I'm about, where I'm going, and not getting off track with uh, other people's expectations and assumptions or my own. Step five, aligning step four with the reality and the truth of the gospel. So for example, another way you could look at step four to five is some of you expect yourselves to be superhuman and that's not reality. And so you might be at step four saying, I can do all things through Christ to give me strength. You even use the Bible to blame it on your ego, on your need to always be in control, your need to always do it perfectly. Step five is, wait a minute, I'm human. God is God. And I need to operate more human-sized, right? That's another way you go step four to step five. Okay, we started with Bible, we'll end with Bible, and then I'll, I'll give you a tool for the week. Secular systems theorists, they say that Jesus of Nazareth is the most differentiated human ever to live, and they kind of scratch their heads as to why. And I think it's because he did these five steps. That's also why I added step five, not just because of Ferris Bueller, but because of Jesus of Nazareth. I go back and I read my Gospels through the lens of differentiation. It's actually a really fun exercise. And I see Jesus, particularly in the, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus over and over, uh, where Mark records, while it was still early, while it was still quiet, Jesus went away and connected with the Father. Step five, connection with the Father. Because you cannot be filled with anxiety and aware of God's presence at the same time. A one typically displaces the other. Perfect love casts out fear. And so that's why with every guest on my show, I ask them, when in your life have you felt most fully and completely loved? Because it's hard to be fully and completely loved and being anxious at the same time. And I think the reason Jesus was never really uh, dislodged from his mission, who he is, what he was about, is because he was differentiated. You look in the Gospels that all the times people tried to put their agenda on Jesus, the Pharisees, even his own followers, the crowds, again and again and again, Mary and Martha, Jesus, if you'd been here early, he, our brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus constantly differentiating, managing his reactivity, never catching other people's clear, but deeply connected even to those he was combative with. So Jesus' differentiation, it started freakishly early. Uh, since we quoted Rich Mullins, I'll quote him again. He was 12 years old at the meeting house listening to the old men pray. And Rich says, I don't remember the next line. I, I shouldn't have riffed off that one, but that's from the song, Boy Like Me, Man Like You. One of my favorite Rich Mullins songs. When Jesus was 12 and Mary and Joseph left him behind accidentally, they lost their own child. They lost God. And they rush back and they're all anxious and they're spilling their anxiety onto Jesus. And he just goes right to step three and four. And he says, oh, I guess step three, four and five. And he says, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? John chapter 8, where the Pharisees are exploiting a vulnerable woman who was caught in adultery. 
and they drag her out into the public to publicly shame her and then to, I don't want to say stone her to death because that's too biblical. I want to say it in a way that maybe shocks us. They wanted to throw rocks at her head and body until the blows were enough to kill her. That's a stoning in the Bible. It's unconscionable. That's what they wanted to do with her. In my imagination, they probably didn't give her time to get dressed. I think she probably had just enough time to grab a sheet and try, try to cover herself. She had to be so terrified and they were whipped up into a frenzy like an angry mob is. And Jesus intentionally walked into the middle of an angry mob and put himself in physical danger, protected the woman. And then look at the way he differentiates with that mob, not by matching their hostility. That's what happens on social media, right? We try to one-up each other's reactivity. He actually diffuses the situation by being clear on who he is, asking curious questions, and then the, the beautiful interaction, the, the emotional connection with the woman when he stands there, just her and him, and he says, woman, who condemns you? And she says, no one, sir. And then he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Over and over again, and of course, we can also see uh, differentiation with Cleopas in Luke 24. You can go back and see how Jesus differentiated. It's beautiful. Over and over again, clear on who he is. So, okay, that's uh, the third message in the third Gosh, I'm butchering how to say it, but this was the final episode on differentiation for now, at least. I talk about differentiation all the time, so I'm sure we'll bring it up again. Let me close with this. Many of you are listening to this and, and it's benefiting. I'm, I'm hearing from more of you than ever. I, I know our listenership is up, and so therefore I'm hearing from a lot of you. And uh, you're always looking for next steps. I just want to say this. You will not experience anything I've talked about unless you put yourself on an intentional path of change. And the path must require three things. It has to give you tools and then it has to help you think about the way you think and then it has to put you to work to put those tools into practice and then debrief. It's like a four-step process. So it has to actually give you a tool. That's what I've done here. But then it has to give you a way to think about the way you think and then you have to bravely practice. You actually have to have the courage to try these things in real life and then you have to debrief. And of course, I'm not the only person that has tools like that. But I think the reason uh, many people are not experiencing transformation is they're stuck at step one. They're listening to the tool, but they don't have a proven path where you can put it into practice. And that's what I do. So if you'd like me to come to your organization, if you'd like me to do a Zoom with your folks, you can just email steve at stevecuswiz.com and I'd be happy to do that. I really recommend a minimum of two hours, but we can chat. But really also... The more affordable option, frankly, is to go to capablelife.me and go ahead and join my monthly community. You can cancel at any time. You can just join monthly, but get started because that's what Capable Life is, is it's a proven step-by-step -step path where we're not just teaching you concepts, but we're actually giving you self-assessments to give you time to reflect. We're then showing you a way to practice, and then we're giving you a chance to debrief What's beautiful about it is you can do it on your own. You can just run it on your own time. Uh, it, no video is more than about 10 minutes long. They're all very brief. Or you can participate in our global community and join with others and do it together. Either way is fine. But CapableLife.me um, is what I recommend. And so I'm just going to close by challenging you, whether it's my path or someone else's, make sure you join a path. And I'm going to even throw down the gauntlet to do it this week because for so many of you, you've been listening for a while and you've been thinking about it. You, you're like, oh, I'll get around to it. Listen, 
you're not going to change until you sacrifice. And it's a sacrifice of time and money, your two most precious commodities, time and money. Uh, and that's what's going to make you do it. So capablelife.me, uh, of course, there are others that do great tools as well. And uh, you can email me if you want some of those tools. I'd be happy to connect you to some friends of mine that do similar work. All right, folks, that's differentiation, 50 minutes. Woof, here we go. See you next week. For more resources, visit stevecusswords.com or missyoualliance.org. 